It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. This is Access Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We've changed the way we do our podcast. That means we're recording it remotely from our homes, but we've also changed what we're talking about in the podcast, since we've always prided ourselves on providing guidance on things to do in and around Atlanta, and because most venues, theaters, and attractions are closed, we're going indoors, and in some cases where it's practical, outdoors to places where it's easy to practice social distancing. Movies being released to theaters is still a rarity these days, but one that will hit the big screen is Spell. Omari Hardwick stars in this tale of dark magic and sinister ritual that is being released just in time for Halloween. The AJC's Rodney Ho spoke with the former college football player and University of Georgia graduate about the film. This is a movie uh, about you know, somebody who's, uh, you know, is haunted. And his father was very much, you know, in his character is a very successful lawyer who ran away from his past. But naturally his father, who was into all this hoodoo voodoo stuff in, in West Virginia, uh, you know, he, he ran away from that. But of course it catches up to him. He, he flies his plane and his family back to West Virginia for the funeral, it crashes. He kind of like in misery, he gets injured and he ends up in the bed of this family that, you know, is, quote, taking care of him. But really, what are they doing and where did his family go? So the mystery for him is like, what the heck is happening? And his foot right. is deeply injured and he, you know, he's stuck in his in his bed and it's like, what what is going on? Yeah. And he does it well. So it's it's an interesting uh, setup. And, uh, you know, he loves the acting craft. And it's I've known Omari for 10 years. We've talked on and off since he he co-starred in a show on TNT with Dylan McDermott. And, uh, you know, now he is helming a movie. So it, it, it's fun to talk to the guy. I mean, he, he, he's 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 a good guy to to uh, discuss acting with. Right. And he grew up around here, right? Yeah, yeah. He's a Decatur man, like you said, a UGA grad, and he's, yep. you know, he, he's a local boy done good, no awesome. doubt. Well, cool. Well, well, I guess uh, we'll just let uh, Omari do the talking, and uh, we'll uh, find out all about the movie and uh, what else you guys talked about.
This is Rodney Ho with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm here with Omari Hardwick. How are you doing, Omari? What's happening, Rodney? My long-lost friend. I know. It's been a long time. We, we started talking the first time, I think it was over 10 years ago, when you were doing uh, TNT's Dark Blue with uh, Dylan McDermott. That's when we started, brother. That's when this relationship began. And you know what? 20, 2020 is no different. 10 years from now, you and I will be talking the same. It's all good. Uh, Omari, you are now in a new film uh, called Spell that comes out on October 30th. Was this supposed to come out on in movie theaters and has been moved to video on demand? Um, yes. It, it Well, first of all, yes, Rodney. This is a movie that is... Uh, to your aforementioned statement, this is a movie that is coming out on the 30th, that's correct, but it's sort of an amalgamation of the two in terms of release. So it's it's limited theatrical release, but it, it will be released theatrical, and then it's also um, on demand. So it's both. For a stand of time, it's both. Wonderful. Yeah, we're, we're in a weird time right now where a lot of uh, movies are being moved to video on demand. Um, I, I, I mean, would you rather see this movie in the theater yourself? <laughs> Yeah, you know what, Rodney? I would rather see every movie <laughs> myself. I mean, as much as you keep food on your table um, through the candles of technological advancement, I'm still a dinosaur in the sense that I'm not so out of out of the loop as it pertains to technology and all the changes within our industry. But I will say as an artist, man, particularly as an artsy-fartsy guy, I tend to like good old-fashioned popcorn in a big movie theater and I think it was kind of cool to whisper about the people that we admired on screen, even if we didn't know why we admired them. It was kind of cool to walk up in a grocery store and see them um, near us, but still remain afar because we got to watch them on a big screen and, and there was that distance. So ironically, you know, the new world of technological advancement again has created not only for people to feel like they're next to you, but sometimes we're in their pockets as they watch us even on these small things called phones. So. I'm archaic in a sense, bro. I really miss the good old days of, of not only theatrical release, but movies at, at the movie theater and not only on uh, HBO or on demand, Netflix, stars, what have you. I tend to wish a lot of those movies were still at the theater, man. Tenet included, which obviously it went to the movie theater, but I wish that all of these movies could remain on, on screen. And I know that's changing. Well, uh, tell me a little bit about this movie uh, for the listeners. Uh, this is a, a big starring role for you. I mean, you are pretty much on screen the entire time, right? This is a really heavy role, kind of like Power was, right? I mean, you're, this is a, you, you, are, you are the main focus of this movie. Yeah, I think that, um, I think it's interesting once you look back on, on, your, on your journey. Um, and I remember in the beginnings, right, even when I spoke to you 10 years prior, I don't necessarily know at that point whether I was calling it a career. Um, I remember in acting class once being asked who had a career. And I think, you know, everybody mentioned everybody from De Niro to Meryl Streep to uh, Denzel and, and Harrison Ford and all of these people that we knew were in it to win it. And, and they had kind of crossed over into that place of not just working actor, but like a really leading figurine on, on screen. And so it's weird, Rodney, because I'm at that place where I'm obviously embracing that. Um, I embraced it by the time I was departing via Mary Jane and going into the world of power. Um, but it's even more apparent now because, as you stated, I'm leaving one thing where I'm kind of a man on his own island, even though obviously Joseph's Tommy and Naturi's Tasha and, and Leela's Angela, uh, as respective to power, were on that island with me. And then some other people peripherally, including my 
my uh, son that the show has continued on with. But now it's a real eye-opening moment for me as a leading man, and particularly on a Paramount film, on a big studio film, to realize, okay, um, there's a level of, of, of trust, and it's very apparent that people want me to be seen in this light because you're right. Once a person can be, again, from De Niro to Merrill to Harrison Ford to Pacino to Denzel to Don Cheadle, once you can be seen in that place where somebody's got to focus on you for what? 60% of the movie, if not 80% of the movie, then you kind of know that um, that you are a dark horse that's being betted on. <laughs> and so it's kind of nice um, for that regard. It absolutely was grueling to the other part of your very good question. It was really, really grueling. Complexities notwithstanding that Ghost came to the, to the table with, uh, the work was not as physically grueling playing Ghost. The mental... Um, the mental sustenance that was required to be able to maintain Ghost, James St. Patrick, Jamie, this three-headed monster, um, that was always there. And the 18 hours of work was there, but this was physically a level that that I had never experienced. And you know me, I'm, I'm definitely a robot and come from the world of sports, but this was different, man. It was psychological. Oh. It was spiritual. It was mental. It was beating me up. Yeah, yeah. Give 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 the audience a little bit of a summary of because it, it appears like you're a successful attorney, but you grew up in the Appalachia area and you had this weird relationship with your dad. And there appears to be a lot of voodoo. Is it hoodoo? Like, what's the phraseology here of what's going on here in the Appalachia area? It's a case study in in all of us sort of looking within ourselves when we brush our teeth in the morning and look in the mirror and knowing that we all have some things that are dysfunctional about us. We all, you know, try to become friends with our flaws, perhaps more than our goods. Right. Uh, and this guy at this point of his life, and I, and I as a person, Rodney, tend to think that people are sort of set by 16 to 18. I think sure. some environmental or uh, some cultural, um, some economical things can be thrown in. Obviously, the choices we make in friends or the people that we choose to have around us can be thrown in. But I tend to think people are pretty much set as they're almost approaching departure from high school. So this guy is pretty set, if you think about it. We're talking mid-30s. He's got a successful life. Again, as you said, he's an attorney. He's married. He's got a beautiful family. He's got the big house, the long driveway, the long cars, the long wallet. Everything's there. But what's short on that list of those things long um, is the time that he spent really coming to grips with the dysfunction he comes from. That's been a short stint for him. He hasn't really taken the time to match her through that in the way that the Mexican culture would astutely state, which is to say that someone has gone through that. And um, I've always loved that about the, the Mexican culture in, in the sense that um, they ancestrally have always been taught that once you're on the other side of something, you can actually embrace that you've gone through it and not run from it. And this guy has not gone through it, Rodney. So he returns to the through it, which is, uh, or, or returning to the chance to go through it, which is, of course, as you stated, Appalachian Mountains. Um, yeah, you fly back. You ha you're a private pilot and you fly back with your family and uh, you hit a storm, you crash. And as the trailer shows, you end up kind of misery-like stuck in uh, this woman's bed in the attic and you're kind of trapped, right? It's, uh, it, it feels very uh, claustrophobic and, and eerie, of course, being a, a psychological thriller, that kind of makes sense, right? And you get to, you get to uh, face off against Loretta Devine and she is an incredible actress, right? Yeah, he's definitely he's definitely trapped in a uh, 
He's trapped in, in the psychological thriller aspect of it. He's not just physically trapped, you know, and that and that's the whole point in terms of coming to grips and, and taking some time with that, not not going short at that. And I think we all do it. It's interesting because it's coming out, obviously, during a time where um, we've been throwing this curveball in life, in the wide world of, of everywhere, you know, each each and every continent, every country within it, every province or state within that. So across the world, we're all being added um, to our dossier that of slowing down. We know in the European culture, they take siestas, they slow life down. We don't in America. So it's interesting. There's a black American man in America trying to fit in a white world. Let's be real. And here he is doing that successfully again and has done it for a while. But short on his list is really sitting down and what he came from, even to the point where the beautiful family asked him before departing on that plane that you forementioned that he's able to pilot. They say, what was what was your pops like? And he doesn't have a lot to say because he tried to run from that world. So everybody's effed up normal, which we all come from, Rodney. Um, it has yes. to be embraced at some point. And this guy has met his match. His match does come in the form of, of a character, Eloise, beautifully played, perfectly played, in my opinion, by the iconic Loretta Devine, as you, as you stated. She and I worked together on uh, Tyler Perry's For Color Girls. We've done table reads together um, or a table read together. So that would have been the first thing together. And then obviously this being the third, but three totally was a charm, Rodney. You know, working with Loretta only got me closer to her because as you state, we are in this place where I'm handcuffed, not only to the physical environment that she has me in, but I'm handcuffed to her. She's trying to teach me about the past and like, yo, stop running from it. You got to gaze into the mirror and realize what you come from. So there is this loving moment where you feel like, okay, I think she's loving on him. And then the rest of the movie will show whatever it shows. I don't want to give too much away. Oh, sure. I mean, there is something, I guess you see it in the trailer, something called a boogity. Can you at least explain what a boogity is? Because that clearly is part of this whole, the concept of the hoodoo, uh, that's kind of the voodoo uh, spiritual aspect of what's happening here. That's right. So we know that, that you know, in places uh, respective to our, our typical knowledge, I guess we would all, I say all, but those of us educated enough in that space would know that uh, New Orleans, for example, Rodney, is no stranger to voodoo and um, realities. Uh, the Haitian culture equal right. to the, certain parts of South Carolina, I would add. Uh, my grandparents being from Savannah, Georgia, um, you know, not far from that. The Gullah tribes, the Geechee tribes, these villages uh, within America, within our country, absolutely practice that. But again, it's sort of always an amalgamation of the Christian beliefs that they have married with pieces of voodoo. The African uh, diaspora comes in and, and sort of drives in the differentiation between hoodoo and voodoo. Eloise's character, or Eloise, uh, Loretta's character, uses sort of an amalgamation of, of it all. She has good old church revivals that are steeped in Christianity. Then she marries, you know, that to the world again of voodoo and, and hoodoo. And in the center of that is this boogity that you speak about. And a boogity basically is a, a, a doll, a voodoo doll, if you will. Uh, she uses it as a sort of manipulator. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a puppet, basically, and she's the puppeteer. And anything that she does to the boogity happens to, you know, the victim or the entrapped, as you, as you stated. And I happen to be the victim and, and the man entrapped. So um, whatever she does to it, even physically, it, you know, I, I feel it. And, and I kind of am going through it. And... You spoke about misery, but, you know, you can bring in sort of the, the remnants of uh, Angel Heart, which, of course, you know, Bobby De Niro and Mickey Rourke and Lisa Bonet and right. um, Eve's body Very dark. back to, you know, 
back to the Louisiana uh, sort of nod. Eve's Bayou sort of paints a similar uh, smell or, or if you will, but it has its own thing. I think Paramount did a great job. They they selected Mark Tonderay to direct it, who is, um, I guess many would say up and coming as a director. I think he's, I think he's pretty much there. Um, super gifted, half uh, British, half Zimbabwean. So his, his sort of ability to navigate the different cultures in which he was raised in sort of the, melting pot in, what, in which he came up in culturally, Rodney, it did help in terms of the Bible that he created literally to give to Loretta, myself and, and the other actors pre, pre-filming. He gave us this Bible on voodoo, hoodoo, the boogities, what it all meant, what Eloise would have, would have been to the community, her actual age versus the age that we, the viewers, will see her as when we're watching. Like he did a whole thing, did a, a voracious level of research and a and our writer, Kurt, you know, just gave him a beautiful lob. And and I think we got it in. Ironically, Rodney, we shot it in South Africa. So we were nowhere near the actual Appalachian Mountains. We shot in, in, in Cape Town, which was interesting. Wow. Yeah. What was it like shooting in a foreign country for, the, for this type of, even though the movie was ostensibly American? Yeah, it was, it was really, um, you know, after we took about five days to get our bodies adjusted, um, for me there was a familiarity because I had been prior to do a commercial that being, I think around season two of power. So I went and during that time I was Joe Berg and Cape town, uh, went to Robbins Island, tried to get as close spiritually as I could to the presence of Mandela having been, you know, incarcerated there and did whatever I could. And, and the personality, obviously that, you know, me as a poet and, and the activist part of me. And so coming back, wasn't, as hard to get at least physically familiar with the place or maybe to grab the spirit of the country. Um, but it was definitely difficult in terms of now I'm filming there. I'm not just doing a commercial, I'm filming and I'm not just filming. I'm there for eight weeks again and then the most grueling level of, uh, of character I could play. And you know, Rodney, I'm method. So I brought Jay and the kids, but you know, you gotta try to come back to the hotel and be as papa as you can before they go to bed if I was, you know, getting off before they went to bed, but equally remaining in method, because I don't know how to how to get out of that. And equally, I didn't want to cheat Mark and, and the writer, and again, Loretta, Lorraine, Lorraine Burroughs, who plays my wife. I wanted to do diligence, man, and, and, and do it in a way where you really felt it as an audience when you when you watched this performance. So I was most method than I've ever been before for eight weeks in a farm. In other words, for your for your for your family, this was not a vacation. <laughs> no, it was a vacation enough on Saturday, I think, because I, I like being a papa so much. Um, you know, I always say as a as a life partner, if we're batting at a B minus, we're okay. But as a as a parent, I think we need to hang out at an A as much as we can. So. Don Cheadle told me a long time ago, don't be separated from your family two, two to three weeks. Three should be the limit. That was his rule in his family. And Cheadle told me that at a birthday dinner one night and, and I've sort of stuck to it. So they kind of know Papa's in character right now. He might be a little whatever, but I think they'd rather be with me, you know, while I'm in character than not be with me. So it, it all works. I mean, and look, the character loves his family so that at least that connection with your character is very much there. Yeah, that's why I've always loved talking to you, Rodney, because you got such sensibility for what an actor has to go through. A lot of journalists don't. They sort of just ask the questions, but you really have to have a sensibility when talking to an artist about what it means. And perhaps I shouldn't say actor, but those of us who tend to be more artistically bent, you got to really know what, what they did before you ask them about the process. Oh, for sure. 
Well, I'm glad, uh, you know, mentally, uh, you said this was not just mentally difficult, but physically difficult as well, uh, this type of role. Uh, did they give you any, any bit of it, Rodney? Did you get to see any of it? I, I've, I've watched a good portion of it, so I know you're, you're scampering around uh, scampering. rooftops. I'm use that one, Rodney, the rest <laughs> of the day. I'm scampering around through this day. Thursday's a scamper day. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, that is an understatement, brother. I was, I spent a lot of time on the ground. I tried to channel the memory or the feeling of what it felt like to watch Tom Hanks and, uh, and Castaway. You know, I'm, I'm weird like that, Rodney. I won't, you know, I can't watch brilliant Wesley Snipes portrayal of, of, of Nino Brown if it has, again, some similarities between that and, and, and the character I was going into with Courtney and Curtis and stars, you know? So people ask me, yo, you never saw, you know, next day, I mean, uh, next day here, you never saw uh, New Jack City. And I go, absolutely. As a 14 to 17 year old, I must've watched it 30 times. But once you're in that space, which I never knew I'd be on screen. I didn't think about that, bro. That was the furthest thing from my thought. I wasn't like the young actors who started at Leo's age or Michael B. Jordan's age. That wasn't my world. So by the time I got to these things, the way that I researched was to stay far away from the things that were obvious to the viewer or to the executives or the producers as to what I might use as homework. I go opposite. So I really just thought about Tom Hanks and, and Wilson, bro. I thought about the way that he could Velcro himself to a freaking soccer ball and make us fall in love, not only with him, but with that soccer ball. And I just knew, knew that, you know, she was leaving me in an attic for a very, lengthy period of time and uh as much as she's so brilliant at making people fall in love with her this was her first time having to make people rodney fall in love with her as an evil character that's never been loretta's place so i've obviously been evil characters so i tried to hold her hand as much as possible but that could sound of blasphemy of blasphemy excuse me because she's a legend and and i'm not at all so in my opinion it was just one of those things where i tried to marry myself to the eight-year-old that I think Tom Hanks just brilliantly, not only did in Castaway, Rodney, but just does overall. Rest in peace, Robin Williams is right there with him. And that's our job, you know? Maybe it's easier to make the fan or the, or the viewer fall in love with your story if you can remind them we all started out at a simple place in the debate, right, for the vice presidential uh, position. The debate had the greatest question of the night being asked or posed by an eight-year-old, an eighth grader, excuse me. So it says a lot about you know, out of the mouths of babes comes truth. So I tried to be as babyish as I could since I sort of didn't spend time thinking about having been abused by my father or raised in a weird place in Appalachian and all the different things that they did and the hoodoo and the voodoo and I ran far away from it. And going back, I thought what I could give the story is now sit in it. If it's a dirty bathtub you ran from, just be eight years old and try to be there. So that part was the mental gruel and then physically being a kid running around on the ground, scampering, as you said, word of the day, Rodney Ho said it, scampering. <laughs> I just tried to commit to that and, um, and hopefully it, it shows up in the story. No, uh, you are definitely uh, committed in, in this movie. It's, it, it definitely captures the darkness of, uh, of what, you know, it, it appears to feel what you want it to feel uh, yeah, based on, on what they're trying to convey in the movie and of course we're rooting for you we we're hope we hope ultimately that you find your family right and that you survive 
uh, even though th there's going to be plenty of PTSD, <laughs> even if there's a happy ending in this movie, uh, we never see what <laughs> what sort of uh, therapy you're going to have to go through after this one. And, and you know what, Rodney? You might have just given a lot to Paramount and there's our part two. Maybe that's it. <laughs> Not that you'd probably want to go back to the Appalachia anytime soon after this experience. So. We'll just fly by that. I'm all right. <laughs> well, uh, let's just ask a couple questions about power. It's you know they, they've got the sequel uh, going now. Um, how does it feel that the power universe effectively is now? I, I think the creator even compared it to the Marvel universe. It's now a full world full of different characters, and you are the leading starting point but you're dead, right? But you were the starting point of this entire universe. How does it feel? Um, it's, a, it's a good way that you ask it. Um, I think I started from the place in terms of my feeling. I started from a place of, and I've said it often in interviews post, uh, post season six and a half, if that's what we did, 15 episodes that season. I've said it, and um, and I'll I'll state it in answering your question, Rodney. Again, I I knew that that he should die by season two. <laughs> so I felt that um I felt that the most beautiful part of Ghost was that he was breaking from the gate, and you and I spoke about this from the inception or genesis of it all. He was breaking good from bad, which was very different uh, than than Brian Cranston's turn as Walter White, and so. You you initially uh, rooted for him, you being um, a male, a female, a, a grandparent, a, a grandkid. Once Tariq's character um, or Michael Rainey's character of Tariq sort of came bigger, and and of course Don Shea Hopkins' uh, character of Raina was taken off the 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 game board or the board. When you right, realize right. that you got teenagers watching it, and all the way to to their ninety year old great grandparents, Rodney, you start to realize that you did your job in terms of people rooting for you because you would have a very skinny demographic uh, age-wise of people watching it if you remain this bad guy that was, you know, not being rooted for. So I think from the standpoint of, of me starting at that place, I embraced how evil he could be because I knew what my gift was, right? And my gift is to make bad, act, bad characters as an actor to make them seem pretty understandable, pretty relatable. Yes, relatable. I think, uh, I think a lot of people... You know, I've obviously proven that in the work that I've uh, been granted, been graced with, been humbled to be a part of story-wise. And, and I think it, it is my thing. You know, all, all of us, all my contemporaries um, had their thing. Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman, you know, uh, Michael Lili to Adris to, to Mahershala to, you know, Anthony Mackie. All, all of these great actors that are my, that are my, as Don Cheadle said, your huddle of age, oh. Yeah, huddle of age. That's a good phrase. You know, um, Sterling K., all of them have, have, have had their their thing right in. I think, you know, when people call upon Omari, it's to play very, very complex people that, dare I say, might be the antagonist, but to ask me to make him sort of a protagonist, which is a, right. a, great, a great compliment. So from the foundation of power, I said, well, okay, I, I'll, I'll get that part down. I'll figure out how to do it. I'll never figure the guy out on purpose until she says that's a serious rap on Omari. I'll always be trying to figure him out on purpose so that he can grow and I can grow with the fans growing with him. That was my objective. But in terms of uh, when I thought he would die, it definitely was not when I died. I thought that it would go another season and that there would be more of a flushing out um, between he and his son 
between he and Tommy, between some players that had definitely become antagonists to Ghost at that point, or James, and that we would see their sort of relationship pan out in whatever way it was going to go directionally, and then he would meet his fate. So my initial feeling was obviously a little bit of a confusion as to why he was taking off the uh, the, the the board so quickly, um, in my opinion. I thought that it, it should be, you know, elongated a bit in terms of his existence on this earth. And then once I got past that, because obviously you get past it, yes. and I, I was able to go to that place that, uh, again, you set it up with a great, a great way of asking the question, which was to say, man, this is very humbling because they really, really drafted me to be at least the point guard, if not the shooting guard, you know, perhaps Tommy was the literal shooting guard, even though <laughs> true, there's way more of a body count as, as Curtis always said with ghost than anybody else. But again, there's the gift of making people forget that I kill people. You know, I, I thank God for that gift. I don't think acting class taught that. So if, if ghost is that, well, we well we choose not to think about that. That's probably why we just choose to think about the more human elements of Ghost, and not necessarily the most violent parts of that's, Ghost. That's right. And so I feel like at that point it was it was easier for me to because um, it's very humbling, Rodney. And you know those things hard for me to get those levels of compliments. I don't do. I'm such a Capricorn. I go, okay, cool, thanks. Let me go climb twenty more mountains. You know, I don't rest <laughs> well. So it started to become a thing where it was apparent that. You know, you should sit in that. You should really embrace that. Pauletta Washington one t- one time told me that, like, the day after an Oscar win, um, which I, I guess was training day, um, would have made sense at the point of me being in their life. She said that Denzel was back on the treadmill, and she said, "Let's just go vacate and and really uh, and really like sit in it, like in you know another Capricorn. Let's embrace what you've accomplished." And he was like, oh, I got time for that. And it's like, you know, so I, it's ironic because I'm not on it, because I'm dead, as you mentioned. What's great about that, Rodney, is I'm forced to sort of have to embrace what I was to it because I'm no longer there. I'm not on the mountain with them, you know. But if if, if I help structure the mountain in the direction that it would be um, going, and, and as you said, this virtual world is, is now uh, zooming left and right, the actors who have remained and they get to do zoom interviews or audio podcasts like I'm doing with you Rodney about their time continuing on power that which I'm no longer continuing on they all at some point you know I guess have to mention my name I mean hell the show is named after the character that I helped bring to life so it's pretty freaking humbling bro yeah it's properly titled I guess the ghost of ghost will always be part of this world you know you know you're you're, you're all, you'll be even if you're not there you're there <laughs> your character is always there yep Watching, I'm, I'm appreciative. I'm absolutely forever humbled as to what stars and and Courtney and and Curtis and the cast uh, believed that I could do, and and I'm thankful for what they did for me equally. Always, bro, you know that. Oh, it's hard to start a a franchise or to create something like this and make it work. So I mean, it's this is unusual, and um, like you said, it's uh, you know you, you'll be on to other things, and it'll probably still be around. You know, you're already on to multiple projects at this point. And you've got another movie coming out too, right? Uh, next year? I do. What's What's interesting, Rodney, is this was the the movie that obviously you're you and I are speaking about today. This was the third movie post Power. It just happened to come out first. So the first movie was a movie being done while Power was still happening. So we're at on Power. Let's make us episode six twelve. That would have been 
um, the explanation from the perspective of of Angela's sister, that being Paz. So after that episode, her angle of telling the story as to how it went down, which would have been pre Tommy's perspective of the who done it. <laughs> right. Um, you got me. So that would have been pre thirteenth episode. I went off to uh, L.A. to shoot for about 16 to 18 days on a, on a film called American Skin with Nate Parker um, and really just an incredible, beautiful film. Equally, uh, well, I say equally, equally as much as the other film I'm going to mention was definitely relatable to where we now find ourselves in that being the Black Lives Matter movement. American Skin was more that nod, Rodney. Gotcha. And, then, and then we don't know when it'll come out, but soon come. And then the other movie that you're speaking about probably is Army of the Dead shot with uh, Zack Snyder and Dave Bautista. Um, and that movie was a pandemic movie, but it involved zombies. It equally involved a heist. So I don't know, it gives you Ocean's Eleven with zombies. <laughs> nice. But with the army trying to, trying to get to the bag, so to speak, before the zombies get to us. And um, it's a beautiful... I mean, he did it as as well as anything he's done. You know, obviously we know Zach from 300 to Watchmen and he's always been top notch. And uh, it was my first time working with him and absolutely just loved every minute of being on set. Is that is that theater bound in 2021, that, hopefully? That is a Netflix. Um, oh, it Netflix. Always, it was always set for Netflix. Oh, wonderful. And it's set up as a, as a trilogy as well. So uh, that was the first installment we did. We also have an animated series that, has conjoined uh, with the film. It's sort of a prologue, but it'll be seen after uh, the film is seen. So that was supposed to be released in December on Netflix. And then um, we had to go back in for more shooting. And then so because of that, now it'll come out subsequent, obviously, to 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 spell and American Skin will soon follow after. Uh, you know how Hollywood works. You, you, sometimes you do a project, you never know when it's going to actually come out. <laughs> it will eventually. You just you just throw it all to the wall and see what, what sticks and what's going to be seen first. It's so true. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're, you know, it's funny, I, I guess after Dark Blue, you had kind of a quiet period, but it seems like post-Power, you've had a lot more opportunities, right? It's definitely been... Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, And it's not slowing down. Now it's kind of going to go to another level, Rodney. So in a minute, bro, I'm going to be too big to talk to you, Rodney. Watch out. <laughs> oh, I'd be so, you know, I'd be so insulted if, they, if you said, nah. <laughs> AJC, too small fry for me. Rodney, if I went to Tibet, it was in the corner of the country and sat there in a movie that was, I don't know, I am legendish and I'm by myself and we have no sales service or no communication ability. I would still talk to you somehow, some way, bro. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amari. Um, and, uh, you know, can't wait to... Uh, you know, hopefully we'll get some uh, good feedback about Spell through, uh, you know, the various social media channels uh, right before Halloween, right? This is literally coming out the day before Halloween. It sure does, brother. So you make sure you get your popcorn or whatever you need, Rodney, and you and you hit me afterwards and tell me what you what you really think about it. I always welcome that. It's always a pleasure and an honor, bro, to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Amari. And, uh, you know, just for folks who know, he grew up in Decatur. This is a he's a local man. <laughs> Shout outs to ATL, shout outs to the Atlanta Constitution and everything that the Constitution of the city has meant to me and to Rodney. Thank you all. There's nothing normal about our new normal, but AJC.com is the same trusted source you've always had 
and we have just as much great content, if not more. That's why each week I'll highlight my personal picks for the best things to do, see, and experience. And the stories are easy to find on AJC.com. This weekend, live music continues at Ameris Bank Amphitheater in Alpharetta with an Indigo Girls show where fans will be watching the show from their cars drive-in style. Melissa Ruggieri has written about the return of some live shows, and she'll bring us reviews of most of them. We'll also have photographers both there and at shows scheduled for Centennial Olympic Park, where pods will be placed in order to promote social distancing. The weekend wraps up with a show by Outcast's Big Boy. Head to AJC.com and check out the Atlanta Music Scene blog for info on the shows and the reviews. AJC reporter Helena Olivero has tips to celebrate Halloween safely. The pandemic has made celebrating a little more difficult, but there are still plenty of ways to mark the occasion. Across Metro Atlanta, communities have been planning for more low-key celebrations, if they're happening at all. Head to the Things to Do page on AJC.com to find out how to safely enjoy Halloween. Real life is scary enough these days for some of us, but if you're in need of fresh horror-related fictional sustenance as an escape, TV and streaming services have released a wide array of new films and TV shows this month. You get ugly monsters, metaphoric comedic twists about hair and gentrification, and a hefty amount of psychological chills and thrills. Check out some of Rodney Ho's picks on the radio and TV talk blog at AJC.com. Decatur's Kimball House is one of the best places in town to get oysters. The restaurant's resident oyster expert and purveyor, Brian Rackley, has been a big part of bringing in oysters from farmers in multiple regions, and he works with Oyster South, the nonprofit that works to expand the environmental and economic benefits of oyster farming in the South. The dining team's Bob Townsend got Rackley and Kimball House executive chef Brian Wolf to come up with some recipes for cooking oysters, including wood oven roasted oysters topped with herb butter and a hearty oyster stew. You'll find it under the food tab at AJC.com. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith. Podcast edited by Bria Felician. Music by Bo Emerson and Billy Guin. And I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.